0: faithfulness. Uh, Brother Davison, will you go ahead and come on up and preach for us? Thank you, Pastor. Open your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 11. If you would please, the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 11. And we're going to read just a few verses in Matthew 11, and then kind of look at the bigger story, and we're going to Uh, preach some about John the Baptist tonight. So, Matthew chapter 11. How about we all stand for the reading of the Word? And I know maybe you're tired and you say, how come we have to stand? Well, it's the Word of God. And besides, I promise you, I'm going to give you plenty of time to sit down. So, (laughs) that's fair, isn't it? So, we're in Matthew chapter 11. Look in verse number 1. And it came to pass... When Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And chapter 10 is quite a chapter where he sent them out and uh, two by two and gave them instruction. And they went about preaching and he gave them power and such as that. Now, when John had heard, that's John the Baptist, When John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, to John, uh, sorry, John sent them to Jesus and said, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and he's quoting from Isaiah. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he Whosoever shall not be offended in me. We pray your blessings, dear Father, upon the reading of the word. And once again, we don't say this by rote. We don't say it because we have to say something. But it is a blessing to assemble together on a a so-called off night, Uh, where folks would assemble on a Monday night who could have been in uh, any number of places and doing any number of things, and yet they have chosen, like Mary, that good part that shall not be taken away. They've chosen to come and give attention to the Word. And so, because it is your Word, and because these are your people, and this is your church, and Because this is your business, O God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be strong at work to make this a profitable and meaningful time together in the Word. And we acknowledge our dependence upon you, our need of thee, O God, so we pray that you would use this service to get glory to yourself and work in every life, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Many of you are very well aware that when we start talking about John the Baptist, that John the Baptist's birth was actually a part of the larger Christmas story. As we come to this time of year, and many will be thinking about the birth of Christ, remember that when it was announced to Mary that she would be with child conceived of the Holy Ghost, you remember that she went to the hill country and she went to see her cousin who was Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias. And here's what the Bible said about Elizabeth up to this point. She that was barren. And uh, so you remember the story that Zacharias and Elizabeth were beyond the age of childbearing and yet God saw fit that she conceive. And by the time Mary went to the house of Elizabeth and Zacharias, she'd been carrying John for six months. And so you remember the account that when Mary went into where Jesus was and it was announced that she would uh, be conceived of the Holy Spirit. When she went in, Elizabeth was very much uh, stirred because the child within her leapt in her womb And I have to remind you that this isn't two over-emotional women (laughs) getting carried away here. This is God at work, unquestionably, no doubt about it. And then when John the Baptist was born, you can read in the Gospel of Luke uh, where that, uh, among other things, Zacharias took John the Baptist, and I I was going to try to quote them, but I'll read and make sure I get it right. And among other things that he said As he held John the Baptist in his arms, Zacharias said, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And so John the Baptist was born in this kind of surroundings, this kind of supernatural work of God. It even says of John the Baptist that he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his birth. Now that's what the Scripture says. And so, this is indeed an unusual person that is coming upon the scene in this John the Baptist. And in the process of time, you'll remember then that after Mary and Joseph and Jesus had come back from Egypt, then the Bible jumps over a period of time, and it says that John the Baptist began his work, the work for which he was born, uh, the work for which he was called and he began to announce the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the Lord as he would preach in the wilderness. I've, I've often thought about that where he was preaching over east of uh, uh, Jerusalem and toward the Jordan River in that region. And I, I wonder what it was like for the people they used to uh, would have traveled that road and traveled that path because in their trade they were very transient. They moved about probably more than we even realized. And so those roads were there for a purpose and people would pass by. What do you think when those that had used that road many times and they're passing by out there in this wilderness area, I can hear a man saying to his partner or to his wife or whoever he might be traveling with, he might say, what, what, what is that I hear? And in the distance they could hear somebody crying out, somebody shouting out. They pay attention or maybe get a little closer. And there's a man out there in the wilderness that's a strange individual, and he's out there lifting up his voice and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And prepare ye the way of the Lord. And there's John the Baptist out there preaching. And so obviously people would say, Well, what is this all about? But when they would go closer and see well, the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is the movement of God, then they probably got more than they bargained for because as John the Baptist was preaching, they would come under conviction of their sin, and that's what he is asking them to repent of, of course. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So a conviction fell upon them, and then John would baptize those that repented And then imagine how the word began to spread. The word began to spread. I mean, we're going out there. And I I tell you, my life is not the same. And you got to go out there. Next thing you know, people are going out of their way to go there. And John the Baptist is preaching until the Bible says that they're coming from around Galilee and uh, uh, and, uh, Jordan and in all the region round about. And so a lot of people are coming to hear John the Baptist. It got such attention, there was so much taking place and happening that the Bible says that the Pharisees went out there and checked out. And when the Pharisees got out there, I guarantee you they got more than they bargained for because John the Baptist is like he's licking his chops when they came uh, because he knew where they were. He a bunch of hypocrites and phonies and such as that. And so he lays the axe at the root of the tree. He just goes right after it and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and even some of the Pharisees. Uh, got under such conviction that they said to John, what shall we do? And John the Baptist uh, identified what they should do. Some of the scribes came out, scribes, the tax collectors. Why do you think tax collectors would go out there? Well, you got to understand that this kind of a gathering of this many people, that they weren't going to miss an opportunity so that if this is another one of those preachers that is traveling about with a and gathering a crowd and taking up offerings and money, come on, that's all taxable income there. And so the, uh, the publicans are out there to see what's going on, but they were maybe surprised to see that there was no offering being taken, even more surprised to find that they were coming under terrible, terrible conviction. And they asked John, what should we do? And John simply told them, quit cheating everybody. You're a bunch of crooks and thieves and you need to change and you need to stop doing that to your own people. That's what he preached. Read it yourself. And even the soldiers came out. You can imagine why the soldiers come out. If a man is out there preaching, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if it's going to be a kingdom, then there must be a king. And these are Roman soldiers, and Herod is uh, in charge. And reigns, and so is there a threat? Is there an uprising? Is there something taking a a, a place among the Jews that there's going to be some kind of a, revol- a revolution or something? And so the soldiers come out there, and the soldiers fall under conviction. I don't know if you're enjoying this, but I am. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what was going on out there as this man was just thundering out the message and calling for people to repent. The Holy Ghost was all over it, and they were convicted, and the. Soldiers said, What shall we do? And John the Baptist told them what they were doing wrong and what they should do. I mean, this is what is taking place out there. And then those that repented, John the Baptist baptizes them. And uh, I know I'm going to take a little leeway here, but uh, can you imagine? And and have you ever tried to stop and think about what it must have been like when John, who had been doing this now for a good time, and the word had spread everywhere? And multitudes of people were coming out there and many had been baptized. Can you imagine what it was like when John the Baptist was baptizing one day? And and if you don't agree with what I'm about to say, we can still be friends, but I'm just kind of using my imagination because John the Baptist is baptizing and I can see him taking somebody and he's just about to immerse them and put them down. And he looks up and he sees right there at the bank of the river, And he drops that guy right there and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now, I can't prove that happened, but I'm kind of suspecting uh, suspecting something like that might have happened because there he was. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And basically, John is saying to them, I told you, I've been trying to tell you, there's one that is coming That when he comes, he must increase and I must decrease. And when he comes, I'm not worthy to loosen the latchet of his shoes. You're making a big deal about me out here preaching. Well, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to unloose the latchet of his shoes. And and there's one that is coming. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and, and with fire. And there's one that is coming after me that is preferred before me. And John the Baptist had said all of those things. And so John the Baptist is out there preaching and what a time it must have been. And he baptized Jesus and what an incredible thing. He he wanted to resist at first. And and he said, no, I I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, no, suffer it now to be so that the purpose of the Father might be fulfilled. And John the Baptist baptized him. And then Jesus, of course, was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he went through that fasting of 40 days and the temptation. And then Jesus came. And he began to teach. And he began to preach. And he began to gather his disciples. And now by the time we come to our reading here, uh, he's sending out his disciples, and they're going here and there, so that the word I'm saying, the message is being spread everywhere, everywhere, and and just what an amazing thing it was. Jesus and the disciples, and Jesus began his miracle-working ministry. John the Baptist preaching over here, and, and I'd like to just call uh, call to your attention that when John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord. And announcing the coming of the Messiah and calling people to repentance. I want you to get this part real good. That John the Baptist was on center stage of the most significant thing that was happening on planet earth. One of the most significant, if not the most significant moment of human history. John the Baptist is right in the middle of it. I like to put it this way. He is on center stage. He is a key player. He has been making the announcement. He's been making the way smooth. He's been preparing the way of the Lord so that when the Messiah came. And so John the Baptist is doing that. And here he is. Now, I don't think he's thinking about it this way. But as we look back, we can see, my soul, nothing greater was happening on earth. Oh, you couldn't have convinced him of that in Rome But you and I know from the scripture that what was taking place here at the Jordan River and Jesus being baptized and the announcement of his coming and then his own teaching and preaching, this is more significant than Rome is doing, no matter what they might be doing in the world. I mean, this is where it's at when you look at it from God's point of view. And John the Baptist is right in the middle of it before he goes to prison. He goes to prison. Why did John the Baptist go to prison? (laughs) Well, what happened was uh, there was were two brothers, Herod and Philip. Uh, One was the governor of Galilee and Perea. The other one was the governor of uh, of Trachonitis and Ituria, these provinces of the Jews. And these brothers were governors. They got called to Rome. No doubt this would be a common thing for them occasionally go to Rome and give a report to what's taking place in the world of the Jews and those that were governors in places of responsibility would go do that. And on a trip to Rome and back, Herod had seduced his brother Philip's wife so that when they returned, then he took her with him, divorced his own wife, and married his brother Philip's wife. Now, if you can imagine, you know, when we've had uh, issues with leaders that had moral problems and moral issues here, the kind of news it makes and Across the pond in England when it happens in the royal family, oh my soul, how the news here just covers it like we all are interested and they tell about all this stuff and everybody wants to weigh in on this and they've committed this adultery and so forth, but they do love each other. or there's a great story behind it and on. You know how they make up all that kind of stuff. What do you think? Human nature was different there? It wasn't different there because this is a huge news item that this Herod came back and on this trip had seduced his brother Philip's wife, divorced his wife, and married her. I mean, this is shaking news all over the kingdom. There's no question about that. And and so this took place. And there are people weighing in. Well, um, what does a man's morality have to do with his ability to govern? It wasn't that long ago we heard that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've got some sordid stories in our own history of infidelity and immorality and adultery, shameful such as that. There's been a lot of that. And and so that happened there, and the news is is happening everywhere, and people are saying, well, well, what about that? And John the Baptist actually then said, um, when I get a chance, and I get a chance to have audience with Herod, he's going to hear from me. Because it doesn't matter what society thinks. It really doesn't matter that society says, well, if they love each other, then why should a man live with a woman that he doesn't love when there's one that he does love? Even if it's his brother's wife, I mean, what? You know, you should, you're adults, you should be able to do what you want to do. Yeah, so society was probably backing him. Rome probably said, well, we've got a, quite a few issues in what one of their own philosophers called the cesspool of the whole Roman Empire into which the dregs of the empire flow. That was the city of Rome where there was all kinds of moral perversion and ungodliness and unimaginable, min- immor- well, it used to be unimaginable, immorality, we're seeing it all about us right now. And so that, that kind of thing was going on. And so Rome probably said, we can look the other way on this, and, or we can put a stamp of approval on that. I mean, society's not causing us any great big uprising or anything. And so they put a, approval on it. And John the Baptist took occasion to say, it doesn't matter who says it's right. It is not lawful before God for you to have your brother Philip's wife. That's the message of John the Baptist. That again, he lays the axe at the root of the tree, which means he doesn't peck around with peripheral issues. He just goes right to the heart of the matter. And he said, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother Philip's wife. And bang, just like that, he's in the slammer. They put him in jail. For those of you who don't understand real lingo. <laughs> and there's John in jail. Our man. The man filled with the Holy Ghost. From birth And for those critics of the Bible and of John that say, well, he had no business addressing that issue, he was full of the Holy Ghost from birth. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and back him on that. John the Baptist let him have it. Now he's in jail. And uh, he stays in jail. It's not like he just went to jail. He's been there a while. We don't have how many weeks, months. We don't know. As far as I can tell, I can't find anything that tells us for sure. But it was prolonged. Jesus' work was gaining fame. It was the year of popularity. And in Jesus' first year of ministry and the miracles and the multitudes and the people were coming. And John the Baptist had disciples that he sent to follow Jesus. And no doubt Jesus cared about his cousin John and that he would send disciples to go check on the welfare of John, such as that. And this was so prolonged that by the time we come to our account, they come to John the Baptist. And he says to them, this is to me, this is totally astounding, that John the Baptist said to them, verse number three, you go ask him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? That that amazes me every time I read it. This comes from John the Baptist. Well, let me just kind of explain how this affects me and maybe others the same. You know, when I read about uh, David and Bathsheba, I read through the Bible about five times, sometimes six times a year. Every time I come to that story, I know this sounds ridiculous. I'm hoping it ends different this time. You know what I mean? Because it's sad. It is sick. And it's so disappointing that a man like David uh, uh, allowed himself to get into that kind of a situation. That is so sad. And every time I read this, I feel the same way. John? And now, what was he? What did he ask again? You go ask Jesus, Aren't thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, I guarantee you, nobody in this room that loves to read the Bible ever read John 1 where John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. None of us have ever read that and said, uh, I think I sense a little doubt there whether he was really the Son of God. (laughs) Well, of course you don't. He knew it was the Son of God. And now he says, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? I call him the unexpected doubter. Come on, we know the disciples following a little later, we know the disciples, they had their ups and downs, and they were in training, and they had a long ways to go. They still had a long ways to go when Jesus is sent back to heaven. But you read the book of Acts, hallelujah, the day of Pentecost fully came, and they got filled with the Holy Ghost themselves, and they rested in the work of the Holy Spirit of God, and the disciples that we read about in the book of Acts don't even look like the same guys that Jesus was training back in the Gospels. Because they grew and they grew and they had the power of God and they were men of God and they walked with God and the Holy Spirit was using them in mighty ways. Yeah. But John the Baptist? I I can see one of those other disciples, you know, they were still confused about the resurrection uh, and about uh, Jesus' resurrection and about uh, what they were supposed to be about even after he rose from the dead. Because in Acts chapter 1, he, they said to Jesus, Wilt thou at this time now restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking about sitting on his right hand, sitting on his left hand, even after the resurrection. Now, I can understand that. But John? You know, the Baptist? Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Unexpected doubter, don't you think? Or is this, did this go off or something? Unexpected doubter, don't you think? Yeah. I look over here and everybody answers over here. Unexpected doubter, don't you think? Okay, thank you. <laughs> we got some work to do in here. I don't know what's going on. But indeed he was the unexpected doubter. There's a lot of doubt isn't there? Here, here's something that really troubles me. Is all the doubt and the doubters aren't out there. Outside of church walls that never attend church. They're not. And most of us understand where they're coming from. Ignorance of the word of God. A lifetime of unbelief. Uh, all of these things totally sold out to the flesh and the ways of the world, we might understand them having doubt. So we try to witness them, talk to them, and, and they may raise questions and have a lot of questions. Well, I, yeah, but what about this? And how can you prove this? And what about this? We can understand that out there. But the thing that I'm concerned about is the doubt that exists within those that are, are in church, Not just everything is called a church. I'm talking about an authentic church. So that's why I say all the doubters in in Columbus, let's see, what state is this? Georgia, yeah. All the doubters in Columbus, Georgia are not out there on any given Sunday or on any given Monday night. Probably there are some that would be right in the walls of a church just like this, maybe even here in this church tonight, that there are doubts Well, I'm in church on a Monday night, and you're accusing me of being a doubter. Well, I'm not in a shape to accuse anybody of anything. I'm just talking about the possibility exists. Because don't you think that if a man like John the Baptist would allow the circumstances of his life, uh, put him in such a state that he would say, go ask him whose way I've prepared, art thou he that should come, or did I miss it? Are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? If that could happen to a man like John, could it happen to somebody in here? And how did it happen to John? Well, it's really very simple. If he's the Messiah and John has word of the miracles that he is performing, please, if he could speak, and a leper is healed, if he can touch somebody's eyes and they've never seen and now they do, come on, we can go through the whole dammit of the miracles. If he can do that, popping him out of prison is nothing. Isn't that right? But he's not out of prison. And he's not only still there, there's no word about when he might get out. There's no word from Jesus saying just a few more days. You go tell John, just a few more days. Mark his calendar 30 days from now or 45 days from now or six days from now. No, none of that. He's just there. And now he's looking at Jesus. Is everybody listening? Through the lens of his circumstances. And when he did that, he said, Well, this doesn't make any sense no doubt thinking as soon as I get out of here I'll go back to preaching too he's preaching over there in that part and then going up into Galilee and back down into Judea I'll continue to preach in this part we'll get this area covered I'll take some of the disciples that he wants me to have and I'll work over here and he'll work over there and we're going to spread this message of the Messiah but it wasn't working that way when it wasn't working that way he said go find out Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Probably there are some in this room that at some point uh, made a commitment, I'm going to serve the Lord, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to obey the word, I'm going to be a, a disciple indeed. I want God to have my life. we saying search me and, and know me, oh God, and try my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. I want to follow the Lord. I mean, I would hope there's a Whole lot of people in this room that have made that commitment. A whole lot of us that have made that commitment. I'm gonna follow the Lord and start and meant it. I said meant it, started and, and followed the Lord and thought this is a lifetime of following the Lord. Did John ever think he'd wind up in prison? I don't think so. Have you ever had circumstances arise in your life that caught you absolutely? and totally off guard that you never expected. And it shook your very foundation. It shook your faith. It made you say, what is the Lord doing? Or what is this about? No, no, I mean, I've, I've not only lived a long time and had a family and kids and parents and siblings and all of that but I've also had the occasion to be involved in many, many other people's and families' lives as well. And all of a sudden, these events come that, that we are just absolutely not expecting. And we, and we didn't see it coming at all. And John the Baptist was always bold. I mean, when the Pharisees came out there, he called them a generation of vipers. And that was a huge, incredible insult that he gave to them, and yet he, got, quote, got by with it, and was out there still preaching, there's nothing, excuse me just a second, there's nothing he was afraid to say. There's nothing he was afraid to address. And John the Baptist laid her out there. It doesn't matter to him if it's Herod, or or who it might be. And and sure enough, it is Herod. And when he goes in the into the prison, don't you know he's thinking, I'll be out here for long, and this will probably only enhance my ability to talk to people and to reach people, and oh, I'm going to get out of here. But he doesn't. Family crisis came and it was painful and it hurt, maybe a broken marriage, a wayward child. Total utter letdown. Death, grief, unexpected. can happen to any family. It will happen to any family. It can happen in the life of a church. I had the privilege of pastoring for 36 years out of the 56 years my wife and I have been in ministry. And, and uh, I, I, can, I can just, I'm thinking back at Southwest Baptist Church because when you get older like this, you know, I'm preaching in preacher's meetings and around younger preachers and everything. And I get asked this question a lot. What's the hardest thing you ever dealt with as a pastor? What's the hardest thing you ever dealt with as a pastor? I don't have to think a half a second that quick. There's times of grief in our church. When a deacon, a wonderful man, fell through a ceiling four o'clock on Sunday afternoon in the auditorium, fell 31 feet and died right over here. They pronounced him dead at the hospital because if they hadn't pronounced him dead, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. We couldn't have had service that night. They'd had to rope it off and everything. And fell right there. A deacon, one of the most wonderful men, there's a spotlight out. And he just couldn't let it go. He went up there to do it, didn't put the strap on, didn't take somebody with him, got on the catwalk up there above the ceiling and fell 31 feet through the ceiling, lost his balance and died. That night we were to celebrate the 25th year of our, our, of our music director, Floyd Schechner was his name. We were going to celebrate his 25 years there, best platform song leader I ever saw, except maybe the one here, but I, I better throw that in there. But Brother Floyd was a wonderful, wonderful coworker, servant of God, oh, my soul. And we were celebrating his 25th anniversary, and Larry died. Nine months later, Floyd died of a heart attack. 55 years old, a Saturday night, weighed 155 pounds, good physical shape, played basketball, racquetball, everything. You looked at him, he looked like a picture of health, and just dropped dead of a heart attack like that. And in between those two and that nine-month period, there were others that passed in our church till we're all looking at each other saying, what? Just times of grief. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going up the stairs on a Sunday morning at 5.30 to go to my office, which I did every Sunday. Larry was over the maintenance of all of our church. He had no duties on Sunday, but he's there before I'm there at 5.30 in the morning. And he'd meet me in the stair, uh, up at the top of the stairs going to the second floor to my office. And he'd meet me right there. And Larry would say, hey, preacher, I've already been in the secret place this morning. That would have been one of the janitor's closets down the hall. And he'd already been with the Lord. And he said, it's going to be a great day today. Shake my hands. It's going to be a great day. I prayed for you. I've already been in the secret place. It's going to be a great day. One of the last times he said that to me, I said, Larry, it would have to be a terrible day to not be a great day to you. That's just the kind of guy he was. You know what I mean? He was just, and he's gone. And nine months later, Floyd's gone. He and I worked together for those years. and, And man, oh man, could he lead the congregational singing and the choir and the specials. Oh, my soul. And I remember for probably 14, 15 weeks, I, I'd go up to my office at 530, no Larry, and now no Floyd. And I remember just sitting down and crying. Just sat down and bawl. I didn't mean to. I wasn't even going to think about it. I got a, a day of preaching ahead of me and, and a full day. And I'm, but I just sat down. And I just, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. There are people that resist spiritual growth. There are people that are murmurers in the church. And they're out there feeling fine. Still murmuring. They're fine, but Floyd's not. He's gone. Makes you want to talk to the Lord. I, I, somebody said, you should never question God. I have. Not blaming God. But God, I don't understand this. And I'll never understand it by just putting my brain in gear. Help me. What kind of answers have you gotten? None. Except that God is God. Amen. God is faithful. Those aren't just words to a song. That's who he is. He can't be otherwise. Amen. And I'll just throw this in right now. And that's enough. I said, that's enough. That's right and you've had those turn of events haven't you probably some right now are sitting there reflecting back on maybe a broken marriage of years ago broke your heart you didn't know if you could live through it and some like my wife and I have raised kids we've got 11 grandkids and five great-grandkids and so we've been involved in kids lives and such as that and the ups and downs the highs and lows And the heartbreaks and the disappointments that come along the way. Totally surprised. Can shake a man, can't it? If it can shake a John the Baptist, I'm almost sure there are events in our life that can shake us. And almost make us want to say, uh, art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another in our own version of it? I said in our own circumstances, in our own version of it. We, we pull a John the Baptist at times. Art thou he that should come? Or do I look for another? Try to be a giver. Give. Pay the tithe and give. Maybe like some people I know and I want to be myself where uh, tithing, I don't even think about tithing. Tithing, it's just a starting place. That's all it is. God's not, Jesus is not Lord over 10% of my income. He's Lord over everything. And, and you try to be a giver, and there are some people that I've seen step out by faith and give commissions and commit to the building program and show generosity in every way. And then all of a sudden, when there's a reversal in the economy, boom, they're out of business that fast. And boy. Or uh, thou he that should come, or do I look for another? This isn't what I was expecting. Oh, now, hold on just a minute. No, don't, don't throw anything up here. The story never has been over just because somebody said that. Just because John said this, it doesn't mean the story's over. And the Lord took off and has no more to do with him. I, I'm just saying, those times come, and we're trying to understand how did John get here? Well, the truth of the matter is, John was a man. I said John was a man. John was full of the Holy Ghost, yes, but John had the ability to exercise according to the feelings of his own soul and heart, and his feelings in the place, just like anybody else does. And he had this very critical and very serious time, and Jesus knew exactly where John was. And don't you love it, how Jesus, when they said, John wants us to ask you, or tell he should come, or do we look for another? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, John? John asked what? Oh, not him too. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. No, Jesus wasn't a bit rattled or shook. Jesus answered, look in verse four. And said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. Now you've asked, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? all right. The prophecy of the prophets, Isaiah, was that the Messiah would come and be made evident by marvelous wonders and signs and miracles. Okay, Jesus said, go show John again those things which you do here and see. Now watch this, quoting Isaiah, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. So what is Jesus' answers, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus' answer to the disciples to tell John the Baptist is this. John, you've asked the question if I'm the one. Well, everything that the prophets prophesied that would come upon the Messiah to this point are being done in me. Because the Messiah, when he comes, is going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to make the lame to walk again. He's going to do all these mighty signs and miracles, and John... I am doing everything that the prophet said. And to this point, everything that the prophet prophesied to the Messiah is fulfilled in me. Now, there's the answer to your question. I am he that should come. And so what he is saying to him is simply this, that if, the, if, if I am not the Messiah, then when the Messiah comes, will he do more than this? You know where I got that idea? John chapter 7. Because there were those that said, he's not the Messiah, that's not the Savior. He couldn't come from Nazareth. You know how the Jews were. They totally rejected the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. And in John chapter 7, somebody spoke up and said, oh, well, if he's not the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to do more than this. I really enjoyed that, but it's just me. Okay. Hey, man, that's a good point. Thank you very much. It is a good point. So when the Messiah comes, is he going to do more than this? No, he's not going to do more than this. Everything that the Messiah is supposed to do up to this point is found in Jesus Christ. Yes, he is the one. All right, so Jesus says, you take this answer back to John and you tell him that everything prophesied is fulfilled in me. I can stand before you tonight no matter what my circumstances might be that shock me or disappoint me or grieve me, no matter what it is, everything that is supposed to be found in the Son of God is found in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and he is the Son of God with no regard to my circumstances. No regard whatsoever. My circumstances have nothing to do with who he is. He never promised that once you believe in me, you will never be, you will never be disappointed in the circumstances of life. <laughs> no, nothing like that is in the Word of God. In fact, just the opposite. If you're going to live in this world for him, you're going to have tribulation. That's what the Bible says. It's exactly what he said. So you go tell John, I am he. And I'm here to tell you, he's the Christ. He's the one. There's none other name under heaven given among men. It's only in Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of Nazareth. If you're hurting, well then, I feel for you. But I'm also going to ask you to remember who hasn't hurt or isn't hurt or won't be hurt. Who? No one escapes that. It just has no bearing on who he is. No, don't, 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 don't push me on this or I'll sing the song. And our blind piano player said when he heard me sing, he wished he was deaf too. You don't want me singing this song. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. You can question God's ways. You can question the ways of Jesus. You can never question the love of Jesus. That was settled a long time ago when he took all of our griefs and all of our sorrows and all of our iniquities and all of our sins and all of our transgressions and bare them in his own body on that tree. You may wonder about his ways. You can never wonder about his love for you. For you. You never can. This so, stuff. Don't you love that song? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. But John has one, uh, Jesus has one more thing to say to John. Look down at verse 6. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. You know what offended means. It means a trapstick, something that catches you off guard, takes you down. That's what it is. And Jesus said, you tell John this. He can only know blessedness not because he baptized so many people. Somebody say amen, please. Amen. You can't know blessedness because you preach to more people than anybody else at that, in that era. No. You, you can't have the peace and the contentment and the joy just because you baptized X number of people. You can only have it, that blessedness, that abiding joy, when you are not offended in me. Because of following me, you are going to go through this and this and this. But if you're not offended by it, you're going to know what you're supposed to know in the way of blessedness, joy, abiding peace, contentment. And gladness. It's all in that word. Blessed are you. And basically the bottom line is this. John. I am he. And your circumstances do not affect who I am. And John. All future believers need to learn what John need to learn. John. Here it is. We don't follow Jesus because he meets our expectations. We follow Jesus because Jesus is Lord. Period. With no regard to your circumstances. I don't mean to sound cold or hard. It's just what's here, friend. Or my circumstances. We don't serve Jesus because He meets our expectations. We don't serve Jesus because His ways never disappoint us. We serve Jesus because He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords, exclamation mark, end of discussion. And I'm happy to tell you, if you read the rest of the chapter, John made it through. Father, you know who's in this room. You know right now who perhaps has been offended. Oh, not like getting their feelings hurt, just taken aback like John was about his imprisonment. Just caught off guard, not expecting this reversal or this pain or this loss or this trial or or this temptation, Not, not expecting that. And it's shaken. May they hear the words of your son. You're gonna know my blessedness if this doesn't trip you up and stop you from following me and my lordship. Maybe there's some in this room right now that know if they haven't quit, they've at least been staggered, and there's a danger of going down because things didn't go like they expected. Since they committed to Jesus, it hasn't been exactly what they anticipated or thought it would be. In fact, there are times that I'm just flat disappointed, somebody might say, with how things are. And they're on the verge of tripping, going down, ceasing to walk with you, and ceasing to follow you. May they hear the words of your son. You're going to know my blessedness when you won't be tripped up. When you won't trip over the stick. When you won't let the stumbling block take you down. When you will not be offended in the process of following me. We do confess, O God, that our present circumstances, if they are painful or totally different than we expected or hoped, that it has no bearing on who you are. Neither neither does the failure of people we looked up to and loved and believed in who turned on you, that doesn't affect who you are either. I pray that you would help us, oh God, and help us to lay hold on the lesson, the teaching, the admonition that is before us. Blessed, you'll be blessed when you are not offended in what I allow to come into your life or what I myself bring into your life or any attack of the adversary upon your life. You'll know true blessedness when you are devoted to the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. Bless this invitation. Could be somebody needs to be saved. May they humble themselves and get saved tonight. It could be there's some believers that have been staggered. Maybe not, hardly anyone, if anyone knows anything about it, but they know it. And I pray that there would be a stirring, a recommitment, what shall we say, a reviving again, of refreshing and devotion to your authority in our lives. Bless this invitation for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?